0: Yeah, uh, have to approve that. <laughs> I don't know. It started doing that recently. I don't know. It's yeah, I, don't, I don't
1: know. It's, I guess people got upset about privacy or something. I have no idea. Maybe. Yeah. Hey, who knows?
0: What's going on, guys? Welcome back to this week's episode of Outside the Arena with Mac and Griff. I'm Griffin Senek, joined by my co-host Mac Rommel, and today we have a very special guest. He's a fantasy football expert. So, with the fantasy football season. Kind of up and coming now. Um, it's almost that time of year, so uh, we're very excited today, today to be joined by a parent Mets fan and, and Gary Carter. So a Gary Carter fan. So I love that, uh,
1: Jake Sealy. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah, a fellow Mets fan. I wasn't a Mets fan for a couple of years. I was. Uh, we're still rooting for the players, but I was hating the organization until they got rid of the Wilpons, yeah. and now that they're gone, now now I'm back to being a Mets fan again. Had to get rid of the Wilpons. <laughs>
2: Yeah. All right. So I guess um, jumping right into your career as a fantasy expert, it's obviously a very interesting career. Uh, You don't really hear a lot of people going into that field. So how'd you go about becoming a fantasy football expert? And then when did you know that this was something that you wanted to do for a living?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I've been doing this, like most people, playing uh, since high school and uh, in college. Actually, yeah late college might have been like right at towards the end but there was a time when back when forums were still a thing and <laughs> fantasy football there wasn't actually even fantasy football it was a new york giants forum and we used to talk giants and a lot of stuff in fantasy and i used to i just started giving out advice because i was doing this on the side i was really good at it i always wanted to be in sports but you know back with you know i don't want to give my weight <laughs> everybody knows i'm a 90s kid i don't want to give too much away about my age but <laughs> I, think I kind of get the sense of like you know it wasn't not only were was like doing right what we're doing right now like video and just going out there and be able to do it and podcasting and just being able to go out and do it uh also fantasy football go out there and be able to do it for a living like all these things were like really conceivable to go do so it wasn't like go to college and hey I want to go into sports journalism, but I also want to head in this direction. I mean, even sports journalism wasn't even really a thing like at ODU. Uh, oh, I went to Old Dominion. Uh, didn't even really have much. So anyway, long story short is I was on the forums and one of the guys after a bunch of weeks was just like, dude, why aren't you doing this? Mm-hmm. And so I started my own blog and on Blogspot, and started my Blogspot blog. And uh, after about two years of doing that, sent it out to anybody and everybody I could find and. Thanks to a relationship with Tristan Cockroft of ESPN, uh, got connected with Scott Angle and started doing it. Now this is I'm going into my 11th year of actually doing this for a site.
0: Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I mean, I think a lot of people would love to be doing something like that. You know, obviously, when you're like we are in high school, I mean, it's like at, that's pretty much all, all there is to talk about for uh, a good <laughs> few months of the, of the year. I mean, that's kind of every social interaction I feel like is based around fantasy football. Um, so I guess my next kind of question is obviously, um, you know, the fantasy football industry, it's not a particularly big one. There's not too many jobs to go around. So how exactly, I mean, obviously you talk about, you know, your connection and whatnot, and now you're working for a site for your 11th year, but I mean, how would you say, you know, it's kind of a narrow industry. So how did, did it kind of just come about? It seems like that's what you're kind of saying, or like, I guess, how do you kind of, how does one land a job per se in this industry?
1: Uh, so I would say it's easier now. Uh, but also harder in a way. Uh, so like easier now. in the fact that uh, I tell people all this time, you know, I've had, you're like, your guys aren't the first ones that have ever asked me, like, how did I get into this? Um, and yeah. when I was first sending everything out in, you know, the back, when i didn't know where to send it i was sending it to like the talent like i would send it like if i was doing it right now i would send it to me and i would send it to like matthew berry but back then i was sending it to tony kornheiser and you know like mike greenberg and max kellerman and stuff like that because i didn't know any better don't do that uh tony kornheiser actually called and yelled at me and said if you want to just do this go do it and but that's where i say things are easier these days because you can, if you want, you can go just start doing this job. If you want to start doing, it. you're not going to get paid obviously, but if you want to get out there and start getting reps to where you can turn it into a career, that's the part that's tougher. Cause you kind of touched on it. It's not just, you know, again, you're not going to college. You don't go to college and get a degree in fantasy sports. <laughs> Nobody's doing yeah. that. Uh, so what I did, and unfortunately it's not the path that Sounds enjoyable, but it depends on how much you want this to be a dream. I spent six, almost seven years of doing this for free. Uh, I was doing it as a full-time second job. I worked at a regular company at a college for many years. I was an internet marketing manager for many years. And I kept doing this 34 hours a week on the side for free. I eventually started getting 50 bucks and I started eventually getting 500 a month. Uh, I opened my own out and that is still doing it at the same time uh, that I don't know how I was doing both at the same time back then. Uh, that's why I was miserable according to my friends. Um, but I say I'll have to say you got to decide if you want to be in this industry, you just mentioned it. It's not easy. There's not a lot of jobs. Uh, do you want it to be a part-time fun? Because there are a lot of those. There are a lot of sites starting to pop up and that's why I say it's easier. You have, you know, fade the noise and establish the run and fantasy points and all these sites that are out there. They'll be like, Hey, we'll give you a hundred bucks an article. So you could do it. It's not going to make a living off of it, but you need a career and that's going to be on the side. If you want to get to the point where it's a full time, that's how you start. uh, But you're going to have to understand that you're going to be doing two things at once to likely get there. Nobody really walks out the door into working in fantasy sports full time. Unfortunately, you know, maybe five, 10 years from now, that's a thing, but right now it's not so it really comes down to you you said how do you get into it it comes down to you and it comes down to having a different voice than everybody else because there are hundreds and hundreds of people out there trying to do this trying to say the exact same thing like you guys both know this anybody out there talking about cd lamb right now nobody nobody's not talking about cd lamb but what makes you different in talking about cd lamb than everybody else and that's what that's what's going to separate you from everybody else
2: Yep. And then I guess going back to what you said, working for seven years, basically on the side for free, how are you able to manage your time? And did you think that you would be put in the position you are in right now today uh, from doing that for free for so long? Uh,
1: So I I, had always hoped I expected, but I wouldn't say if it never happened, I wouldn't have been surprised just because of how tough it is. Um, So the managing the time just came to the fact that look, I went to my full-time job, came home, worked on this a couple hours, worked on it a couple hours, and then took up half my weekend. And we're essentially where when I was working to jobs, Saturdays were pretty much the only time I had a, a decent amount of free time. And I might even check in on some of the work on Saturday. But basically, Sunday through Friday, we're consumed from work. I didn't have much of a social life. I tried to still keep it, like I said, Saturday, Friday nights. I still tried to go and do things uh, to try and not, you look you don't want to get to the point where even if it is your dream that you go so far that you burn yourself out and hate it uh that 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 goes the opposite direction but it's just that look people come home from work and work out all the time Uh, people come home from work and you know spend hours playing video games or spending tv i know everybody always says there's only so many hours in a day and i certainly feel that every football season as much as you or anybody else does Uh, but at the same time if you want to do this you can make time uh what it comes down to is when you said the second part of, dude, I think it was going to be a full-time job. Again, that was my ultimate goal. And I always like to hit my goals, but the realistic side of it was this might never happen. It might just be a side hobby. And that actually came down to when the deli closed because it didn't work out. I called the company I was working for and I said, I'm at a crossroads here. I can't now I don't have the deli anymore. Like I can't keep doing this for 500 bucks a month. It's either you hire me full time or I'm going to have to go back to finding a quote-unquote real business job and maybe do this on the side. But, you know, after six years, it, it's got to be one or the other. So, uh, it was, like I said, it, it was always an idealistic goal. It can be done. Um, but I also consider myself extremely fortunate. I, I, I would not say without a connection with Tristan Cockroft and actually Casey Joyner, too, and Scott Engel being willing to bring me on, without that, um, you know, I could have been just another name that got swept under and eventually burnt myself out in eight years.
0: I think it's a, a fascinating story. And I think it's, it's super interesting because I mean, you hear of all these people getting into, you know, we've talked to a lot of sports broadcasters and whatnot, and it's kind of more of a set thing, but the fantasy industry, it's kind of like, like you said, like there were six, seven years where you weren't getting paid. You weren't, you know, it was just, you know, you were doing it for fun because you loved it. And I think that's super interesting. And uh, I think it's truly like an industry like none other. I mean, that's, that's kind of crazy when you think about it.
1: Absolutely. And I will say the last part of that, um, and this is the toughest part because it's not, there's no set way to go about it, Uh, but the connections, uh, I tell people this all the time too. When I, when we go to the fantasy sports conference and stuff like that, or just out in general meeting places where like there's people around in the industry for other events and stuff like that, the first person i always introduce him to is my boss nando defino because he's one of the most well connected and most willing to help people out guys in the industry make i mean the connections are going to be everything you know i'm sure this doesn't surprise anybody but it's the same thing you see in sports with coaches getting hired, it's the same thing you see in Hollywood with people getting jobs. I mean, how many times has JJ Abrams rehashed the same, you know, actors and actresses that work for him? Uh, it's the connections will matter. And I can see people out there is like, man, you know, I think this guy should get a shot or this girl should get a shot. And somebody else does that. You just seen it's like, well, oh, it's because they worked together previously and that's unfortunate, but you're not, prohibited from making those same connections through social media showing up at the events and just kind of getting yourself out there Uh, you can never make enough connections there's no such thing as too many connections
2: yeah so I guess with that that was a lot on your career and how you got here so now I guess we can move over to actual fantasy football and this is probably a question uh, you'll hear a lot like a sleeper kind of question so what player or players who maybe have a little bit of a later round value right now could start climbing up boards as we get closer uh, to the season starting.
1: Well, I think the obvious one right now is the one that kind of got thrown out already because he's ahead of everybody else in the backfield with Trey Sermon, the running back for the 49ers. But if you go back to what I wrote about during the draft time, you know, this comes down to, I thought this was a potential anyway. I'd still say if Raheem Mostert is healthy from week one, it's his job first. Mm -hmm. But what do we know about Kyle Shanahan is he made Jeff Wilson relevant. And if you take Jeff Wilson, the player, he's and he's replaceable, he's waiver replaceable in the NFL. As in you can find a running back that does what he does on any team. But Shanahan has the minus touch when it comes to running backs. So if you get the starting running back, and in my opinion, Trey Sermon being the most talented running back in that backfield as soon as they drafted him, no question about it, better than Raheem Mostert. I, I thought it was only going to be a time before Sermon had that job. So if Moster is ready for week one, it'll be his, but I think you'll see some split with Sermon. And I wouldn't be surprised if Sermon takes over before then. And then, uh, you know, I'll tell you the one that got crushed. I'm really upset about this one. I was super excited for Josh Reynolds until the, the Titans traded for Julio Jones because I was like, hey, they have nobody at number two and they just lost Corey Davis in free agency and everything's telling me that they're going to be using Josh Reynolds and they trade for Julio Jones. So let's go back to Atlanta and go for their old team. Everybody knows Russell Gage, obviously. He already had 110 targets last year. He should do the exact same this year. But if you're talking super, super deep now, if you're talking – last round he might not even get drafted in your average he's probably not getting drafted in your average league but the Falcons will run a lot of two tight ends because of Hayden Hurst is there but when they're running three wide receivers well maybe Zaccheaus is a really nice slot wide receiver who you know maybe if Russell Gage gets hurt or struggles to be the number two uh, I think uh, you see Zacchaeus pop up a couple times this year but that that's super now you're talking about probably like even like a 14 team league or deep benches so I gave you a super super deep one there
0: definitely a deep one. I remember he had, I think he had some games last year where he, where he got in there with scoring and whatnot, but um, I like the, the Trey sermon pick is, is one that I think a lot of people definitely have to look out for. Um, Speaking about the Falcons though, obviously you mentioned the big Julio Jones trade and that had honestly some, some major potential fantasy impact. Um, So I guess starting with the Falcons um, you mentioned, obviously their depth at wide receiver, but looking at the top of the top of the depth chart there, you got guys like Mike Davis, Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts, how do you think their fantasy stocks, obviously they have rose um, tremendously with this trade, but where do you think these kind of guys fall now in terms of like where they might um, end up falling in the draft?
1: Yeah, uh, actually, Calvin Ridley didn't move much for me. Kevin Rune, he moved up one spot only because I had A.J. Brown one spot in front of him, and I moved A.J. Brown back with Julio Jones coming to Tennessee just because the targets go down. I think the biggest winner, and you've probably heard his name a million times already, but and you just said it's Kyle Pitts since the draft. Like we all know in fantasy, how rare it is for a tight end to produce as a rookie. It, there's no question about it. You know, you have four, is it four or five, and the entire history of the NFL that have caught over 700 yards. Uh, you know, the only one to have a thousand is Mike Ditka, and that's a whole different era of football back then. Uh, but the last one, you know, is Evan Ingram, and the Giants were with that Odell Beckham. Uh, Starling Shepard was getting banged up this that year. Evan Ingram essentially turned into the number one receiver for that team. Jeremy Shockey for the Giants was another one that did it. And if you look at that team, I think that's the better one to look at is that it was Shockey and Amani Tuber. And then behind them, the next closest was Ike Hilliard way behind them. So you'll get the pushback of saying, well russell gage is better than ike hilliard was for that offense well also that's not an offense that was throwing 620 times matt ryan is going to throw 600 620 maybe even 630 times so that third piece does become relevant anyway we might be talking about a fourth one but kyle pitt's getting 110 120 targets he's going to be pushing for that tier i'd say right on the heels of the darren waller george Kittle, right behind those two obviously travis kelsey number one but right behind those two i would still take those two every single day but i think he actually leapfrogs mark andrews in baltimore just because if you told me 110 120 targets for kyle pitts and you told me darren waller only got the same amount like if you said they both get the same amount of targets heading into the next year i know it might sound crazy but as a rookie i i would probably go kyle pitts
2: kyle pitts will be a monster for sure with the Falcons, but on the other hand, for the other team in the Titans, you have Julio, you have A.J. Brown, who you said you bumped down just slightly. But for Derek Henry, a player who a lot of people are probably going to be taking one, two, three overall in their fantasy football drafts. How do you see his stock um, being taken now? Is he is he higher up? Is he lower now because of this trade? Uh, where do you have him?
1: I didn't. I, he's another one. I really move uh, because everybody is talking about the 370 carries and being concerned about the workload from last year. Uh, here's the issue with that is there's, there's actually two is to push back for that is he's only had two years over 300 carries. It's not like he's been doing this five years in a row. It's like, Oh my God, he's starting to break down. Um, so that's one thing. And on the second side of it, he's not your every running rack. Uh, he's not even, he, he's a freaking nature. That's the truth about it. If Derrick Henry gets hurt this year, it's going to be because somebody tackled him the wrong way. It's not going to be because Derrick Henry carried the ball 370 times and he's worn down. That This this isn't Todd Gurley's bone-on-bone knee situation with a you know, degenerative condition. So I didn't really move him. I, I don't think he carries it 370 times. I think you drop him down to just over 300 and like similar like 310, 320, maybe up to 330, and still going to be a little bit touchdown reliant. But where you say overall, he's just in that next tier. You know, you have Christian McCaffrey, Barkley, both of them coming off injuries, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, and Derrick Henry is right there. And of all those, you might even in a half point PPR, you might even argue Derrick Henry is the safest just because of who he is. He, like, he's not going to, again, a freak injury is going to take him down. But outside of that, he's not going to not produce, even though I just threw out a double negative at you. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, you mentioned, obviously, those top five guys. It seems like those top five guys are pretty much the consensus top five um, with anyone, uh, any expert's opinion. But looking at that next year is where it kind of gets interesting. You got guys like Zeke Elliott, Jonathan Taylor. You got, you know, there's a whole bunch of guys. You you can start throwing in names like Cam Akers, DeAndre Swift. I mean, there's a ton of guys. So obviously there's the top five that seems to be pretty set in stone. What about this next group of guys? Who do you kind of have towards the top of that tier? And then what are some of those guys that you might try and potentially avoid in in your draft?
1: Yeah. Jonathan Taylor would kick off the tier for me. Uh, although I've been a staunch supporter of Ezekiel Elliott, even looking back at last year. And I'm not even talking about this recent week of the best shape ever. Yeah. Everybody always looks like the best shape ever in the offseason. Yeah. We do this every year. I just look at, the first five games of Dak Prescott last year, and I find it interesting that people will go, look at what C. D. Lamb did as a rookie with Dak Prescott. Look at what Amari Cooper did with Dak Prescott. Everybody doesn't care about. Well, how about Ezekiel Elliott, who was a top three running back through the first five weeks with Dak Prescott? So, I'm I'm in on Zeke. Uh, if you look at it, he was also banged up for a lot of the year, and the two weeks where he had a hundred percent practice, that week he ran for a hundred yards. Um, so, again, I'm not saying, like, okay, he's going to run for a hard charge every single week, but these somebody who was dealing with injuries, poor quarterback play, just a messed-up offense that people weren't expecting. So, I'm still in on him. Uh, I would throw Chubb, Akers, I'm a big J.K. Dobbins fan, Joe Mixon, I'd even throw the, the rookie Najee Harrison here. The one I'm concerned about that I would also throw in this group, but I haven't mentioned, it's, it's Aaron Jones. It's the same reason I was concerned about Aaron Jones last year. Obviously, it you know my concern was, over, uh, I'd say, overrated a little bit because of where he finished inside the top five. But it comes back to he's touchdown dependent. He rushes for about 1,000 yards, and we don't know what's going on with Aaron Rodgers. And even so, A.J. Dillon in his second season, does he steal some of those touchdowns? Because if Aaron Jones is the exact same Aaron Jones, He's one of the most efficient running backs on a per-touch basis. But if you just take away a handful of touchdowns or a handful of touches, and he's already only rushing for 1,000 yards, I just I don't know that I can take him over Nick Chubb, who's even splitting carries in his situation. At least we know he's getting the volume every single week. I, even Cam Akers in his second year, and I know there's certain questions like, well, is he going to be the guy? I believe so. I would just rather go with somebody who I know is going to touch the ball almost 20 times a week versus... 13 to 15, who also might lose some touchdowns, who also has a quarterback situation. We still don't know what's going on with.
2: Yep. So that pack situation is obviously very confusing. We're going to have to see how that plays out. So piggybacking off of that Packer situation, Devontae Adams, who a lot of people have him as the number one receiver in fantasy football. If Aaron Rodgers is there, I'm assuming he's going to be putting out the same numbers, well, similar numbers, and still remain as a number one wide receiver. But if Aaron Rodgers isn't there, how do you see things playing out for Devontae Adams?
1: I make an easy comparison. I just I, I brought this up about a month ago when this first started, or even maybe before that, because that's wow, the draft been that long ago? Yeah, so over a month ago, is Allen Robinson? That's that's where I would put him. I would put him right alongside Allen Robinson as a low end QB or a QB, low end wide receiver one, uh, who is going to still see volume. But it's going to be less efficient volume and Allen robinson has put up wide receiver one numbers with terrible quarterback play for most of his career uh, everybody keeps joking about oh he's going to have the best quarterback he's ever played with every single year so he says this is the best quarterback he's ever played with uh, but to be honest about it you know certain wide receivers uh, can do more than most even with poor quarterback play and it also comes down to volume yeah i mean yes We're hoping that Amari Rodgers can finally bring something to the wide receivers, that Valdez-Scantling can somewhat rebound, that Lazard can somewhat be a thing again. Tanyan was supremely touchdown-based. He's the one I'd be more concerned about because without good quarterback play, the volume of his touchdowns drops, and now you're talking about a tight end that's not even going to come close. Uh, but I think Devontae Adams would be fine. But, yeah, obviously that's a huge drop because Devontae Adams with Rodgers is the easy. There's no debate. Everybody's putting him at number one. Mm-hmm. After that, I think he drops down to like DeAndre Hopkins, Keenan Allen, Allen Robinson. I think that's the range that he falls into. Still wide receiver one. He's just now at the back end of it.
0: So obviously the wide receiver uh, position, it seems to be one of those positions that each year is kind of like, It seems like it's a sure thing, but it's not really a sure thing. I mean, you look at Michael Thomas last year. He really struggled. Obviously, he was banged up and whatnot. So, um, obviously, we talked about Devontae Adams. But outside of him, what are some guys at the position that you do like that you think will have good years? And then also, some guys that you think are projected a little little too high uh, rather than when they should potentially go?
1: Yeah, I'll go back to Lamb. I think that Lamb could not only – provide the fact that we see this every year. Nobody ever wants to draft two wide receivers from the same team, but Thielen and uh, Justin Jefferson just did it. Finished as ones together. Uh, Todd Lockett and DK Metcalf, although Lockett was very up and down. It can happen. It happens plenty. Tampa Bay guys, the two years ago. uh, But uh, I would say that Lamb can not only reach the wide receiver one territory, I wouldn't be shocked if he surpasses Amari Cooper this year. That's how good he is. I think people kind of forgot how good he was because of what happened with Dallas after Dak went down. Um, so even if Dak doesn't throw quite as much as he will, it would, that's an easy thing to say through the first four games, he's set a record for it. But yeah. even if he's just, you know, 4,500 yards and 30 touchdowns, I want to be, like I said, I want to be surprised if Lamb is up there. Um, I got to go to the San Francisco. Somebody, uh, the Brandon Ayuk situation with uh, not knowing with Debo Samuel and how that target share is going to go. Uh, what I said about Ayuk last year and why I like him more than Debo coming back from injury is because, Uh, I thought Ayuk was a little bit redundant in a way as a rookie, but with the upside for more because he can succeed and play outside more than uh, Debo Samuel can. So I think even though Kittle's healthy back this year, I, I would say that Ayuk is going to take that next step forward. And then I'll give you one more kind of in this range who I think is just still not getting enough love. And I continue is he's my Deont (laughs) Bay is that Deontay Johnson, for people that don't realize his 11 healthy games. And I say 11, because I'm talking about the two games where he won left early and then also was playing through an injury, but the 11 healthy games, fantasy points per game. He was wide receiver eight. And that's with a poor Ben Roethlisberger last year. Uh, everybody's talking about Juju Smith Schuster bouncing back. I just give me a healthy Deontay Johnson. And, and I think that people just didn't realize how good he is when healthy. That's the biggest question is how healthy is he? Uh, but uh, I, I'm 100% on him. On, on the flip side of it, I'm kind of down on the entire Carolina guys being able to repeat what they did last year, even with Curtis Samuel gone just because Christian McCaffrey is back and Christian McCaffrey is going to command his 90 receptions. So, you know, I, I still like DJ Moore. I'm just not going to take him near a wide receiver, one territory. And then the other one to bring up the giants here is that I, I don't think Kenny Galladay is going to be able to repeat what he did with the lions. Even he, even if he's healthy, uh, just because Daniel Jones has so many weapons, but also Daniel Jones hasn't shown the confidence to throw into coverage. And Kenny Galladay is somebody that you have to throw even while he's covered because he can win those balls similar to Des Bryant to go back to the Cowboys. But until Daniel Jones shows me that he's comfortable making those throws, I think Kenny Galladay could be hurt by his signing with the giants.
2: Yep. So you spoke a little bit about the Cowboys. They obviously have that all around talent, Ceedee lamb, Mark Cooper, Michael Gallup, Ezekiel Elliott. And there are a bunch of teams like this, including the Browns when you spoke on Nick Chubb, but are there any teams in the league because of their all around talent on offense that you want to avoid some players from, as you said, um, with the Panthers, that you may not want to be as high on DJ Moore uh, because of Christian McCaffrey coming back. Are there any other teams uh, that you're trying to avoid a certain position group from?
1: Uh, I would say avoid never 100% at cost, but the Jets come to mind for their wide receivers just because what? who do we know at this point? Obviously, things can clear up by the time we get to August. Uh, There's been a report that the Jamison Crowder uh, reworking of his deal was to potentially set up a trade, but we have to take of what we have today is that he's still there. There was a lot of assumptions that they were just going to outright cut him because they would have saved over $10 million. I thought they were going to. Um, But at this point, you know, with Jamison Crowder still around, we've seen another guy stays healthy. Uh, Jamison Crowder has been productive, extremely productive, but he's there, which kind of caps Elijah Moore and, Denzel Mims, just from him being there. Corey Davis I think fits better as a 1B and that's why he broke out last year with AJ Brown. I don't think he can necessarily handle getting top coverage from like a Stefan Gilmore and being out there every single week, especially with a rookie quarterback and Zach Wilson. I, I don't think he's going to have a bad season, but I could see him replicating last year's numbers with more targets as in being less efficient. So Corey Davis Jameson Crowder, Elijah Moore the rookie Jameson uh, Jameson Crowder would probably be the one I like the best right now because he's going the cheapest, but he might not be on the team. And then Mims is not getting any positive praise so far. And that's even before bringing up the Keelan Cole signing, which who's been running with the number ones, which all again, always a great assault because you have to run with the number ones. If you're going to get evaluated by a team, but when Mims is already running with the twos, that's concerning for Mims, let alone the fact that they want to play Cole outside and potentially play like that's just a mess. I'm avoiding as much as possible except for the cheapest cost. And right now the cheapest cost is Jamison Crowder.
0: I think that's an interesting point. Um, Speaking on the Jets, though, running back is one of those positions and specifically, um, I believe is their third round pick Michael Carter, um, that a lot of people potentially like, including myself, I feel like that could be a a decent value pick. So I guess what are your thoughts on the Jets running back situation? If you do like Michael Carter, obviously, they have Tevin Coleman there, but it seems like Michael Carter could have a, a really big chance to get some serious level of touches.
1: Oh, 100%. I am a Michael Carter fan. I actually put him in tier two of my running backs for pre-draft right alongside Javante Williams. And I said a lot of people didn't realize how good Michael Carter was because Javante Williams kind of overshadowed him. Uh, And my way too early, right after the draft rankings, obviously this would change if the reports out of Denver are true and that Williams could get the job by day one. But I'm bringing this up for the point. My initial immediately after the NFL draft rankings, I put Carter in front of Williams because I thought Williams might take six, seven, eight weeks, kind of like Miles Sanders rookie season a few years ago before he had the job. I think Michael Carter does have the job from day one. He is by far the most talented running back. The difference between the two, obviously, is Michael Carter kind of falls into the Austin Eckler range where, you know, it's 14 to 17 touches a week. A decent amount in the passing game which makes him extremely valuable and half a full point ppr like everybody plays these days but he's never going to be a bell cow running back and he doesn't need to be and some running backs do go back to aaron jones you know aaron jones it's another good comparison. The two of them, they, they could get 16 touches every single week. You put Michael Carter and Aaron Jones roll on the Packers with Aaron Rodgers, and we're probably talking about as a potential RB one. But for now, he's an RB three. I put him at the high end just because also it's the uncertainty right now. But I yeah, I like that call. I'm a huge Michael Carter fan. Uh, I was actually going to bring him up earlier, but I'm glad you know because we got kind of talking about some other stuff. I'm glad you brought him up because I love always trying to get him into any show I can. <laughs> Yep.
2: So you spoke about a comparison to Austin Eckler and going to that Chargers team, Justin Herbert, he's looking to take that next step this year as a quarterback. And I believe that there is a chance he could go as far as being the MVP in the NFL next year. So I want to ask you your thoughts on Justin Herbert, where he could end up in fantasy, and then even in real life, what he could end up doing.
1: Yeah, I'm a little bit more worried about Justin Herbert because it's going to come down to him. And I'm not saying he can't do it, but this is so I'm going to bring Jared Goff into this conversation and I'm not calling him Jared Goff. I think he's better than Jared Goff, to be clear. Yeah. But Jared Goff, a few years ago, uh, Emery Hunt, a scout that uh, you know I've talked to and worked with in the past, he pointed it out to me because he's. Like the upper echelon of all scouts out there that I ever know. Uh, But he pointed out, like Jared Goff, the year that he started to falter was the year defense has figured out if you wait till the headset clicks off. And this is what Emery pointed out to me. And he said, Watch the game. He's like, Watch this. Watch what happens. The headset clicks off when McVeigh couldn't talk to him anymore. And that's when the defense got into full formation. They kind of disguised it. They would kind of semi-line up and start moving around and kind of hide it. And then when the headset clicked off, they're like, well, Jared Goff doesn't know how to adjust to our defense. So we'll move around and get into our real spots. We'll get into our real assignments, whether it's zone, whether it's man, whether we're covering this guy, dropping down, whatever it might be, showing a blitz here. Because golf can't do that. So I bring that into this conversation to say this. Again, I think he's better than golf. And we've seen that since that day, golf has been not miserable but pretty close to it um justin herbert the last few games of the season started to hit some bumps and that's expected he's a rookie but the nfl is getting a book on him and the nfl is starting to figure out this is where we bait justin herbert this is where we find the holes in his game he far exceeded anybody's expectation especially mine i was legitimately concerned about herbert coming out of college i'll even admit that i was too low on him i thought three years of not improving at oregon against poor play why are you going to do better in the NFL? So far exceeded my expectations. If we see that same development jumping from college to the NFL to see in year two, where it's now on him to say, I got to adjust back. Absolutely. We've got the offense around him. They've improved the offensive line, which is a major question mark. You have the Roger situation, the Watson situation, which knocks two guys out of fantasy where now you're talking about Justin Herbert could push the top five. Uh, And then the, and, you know, the AFC side, I mean, that's still every bet out there would be on Patrick Mahomes and probably Josh Allen second. But if anything were to go sideways for those guys, I think he could push himself into the conversation for your point. But it's going to be on his shoulders. That's what it comes down to. Are you the Justin Herbert that didn't improve in Oregon or either Justin Herbert that we saw as a rookie? And if he's the Justin Herbert we saw as a rookie, he will be able to take that next step forward.
0: It's definitely going to be interesting to see. I know me and Mac both and um, in our initial um, – projections or, I guess, um, tier list or whatnot. We, we had Justin Herbert pretty high, so it should be pretty interesting. Um, but staying on the point of quarterbacks, um, obviously, seems to be the main discussion. You brought it up yourself. The Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson sagas, their trade request. Who knows what the situation is with those guys? Obviously, it's June right now, so we're obviously going to know uh, a little closer and when drafts actually start happening, probably what the situation is going to be. But that said, with all this uncertainty right now, How do you have this quarterback situation shaping out in terms of how you rank these guys? Obviously, it seems like Mahomes and Josh Allen are pretty much the top two. um, But how do you have, you know, kind of the quarterback rankings playing out right now?
1: Yeah, I would go Murray, Dak, and Lamar as the top five. Those are the easy top five for me. I think there's a question as soon as you get to Rodgers at six, uh, Rodgers can finish higher. And I have Rodgers at six as like, even if he does get a trade, he'll still, it's, He'll be Aaron Rodgers. We're not so much concerned about Aaron Rodgers as we are the effect of what happens, as you mentioned earlier in the show, uh, is what happens to Devontae Adams and the rest of the Packers with no Aaron Rodgers. So Aaron Rodgers, I'm not worried about um, the Deshaun Watson situation. I think we're getting to the point. Like I don't know if he's draftable, uh, and if he is, he's your second quarterback now. Like he's you're not drafting him as your first. You're drafting him kind of in that conversation of like okay, can Daniel Jones rediscover what we saw two years ago and had hope for in 2020? Do we think that Carson Wentz can rebound in Indianapolis? Like that's where Deshaun Watson is going now at this point because it's, again, it's not talent. It's one, is he even playing? And then two, if he is even playing, is he even playing for Houston? Uh, So that has a ripple effect for Houston. I think as of today for the Houston guys, you kind of have to treat them as if there is no Deshaun Watson. So it's Tyrod Taylor at quarterback and Tyrod Taylor, is a step down we know that as a passing game wise but i think brandon cooks will still be brandon cooks to a degree it just comes down to who else is going to get opportunities is it going to be the rookie collins is it going to be anybody else that can throw on the field and that's why i say collins because collins has a nice leg up to be able to jump in there and be the number two from day one uh similar to justin jefferson last year for the vikings that kind of situation in front of them but how good is the quarter quarter pack play going to be um so yeah i I'm still taking Rodgers fine. I'd probably – I'd still go Rodgers over Wilson and Herbert if you wanted to take those guys. I wouldn't say you're nuts to do so. But, again, that's because I think Rodgers is fine no matter where he is. Uh, but like I said, for Watson, there's no, he has to be towards the end of your drafts at this point.
2: Yep, I completely agree. I think those top five, six-ish type of uh, quarterbacks are basically set at this point. But the next question I have is – what popular fantasy opinions or projected draft trends do you disagree with and encourage others not to follow?
1: <laughs> You're trying to bait me into everything going on about zero running back right now, <laughs> so I will easily go there. I've never been a zero running back person, uh, mostly because like, I understand. I'm not stupid. I understand the point and the theory behind it, and I understand how it works. And if you were the only person in your league to do it, It definitely can work. I've seen it work. But the problem with, there's twofold here. The problem with zero RB is look at last year. Look at how many running backs we were chasing in week 13 of, you know, the Savon Ahmeds and the Samaj P. Ryans and those guys of the world where it's like, oh my God, I got to find a second running back. If I'm going to make the playoffs, I got to find a second running back to try and make it through the playoffs. Injuries happen. Things happen in the NFL. There's bust up and down the line. And I know everybody's like, well, look at how many running backs bust. But, that number is kind of inflated and offset because it's look how many first round running backs are, are are bust. Well, there's also nine, 10, 11 of the first round picks are running backs. So there's going to be more. Uh, yes, wide receiver is safer, but wide receivers super replaceable. I mean, we're talking about the fact that this year uh, you're looking at ADPs where Jarvis Landry isn't even inside the top 40 anymore one of the most consistent wide receivers of the past, however many years, isn't even going inside the top 40 anymore. Uh, you have guys like Michael, Michael Gallup. You guys mentioned before when we're talking about the Cowboys. You had the Jerry Judy rookies and they're going to their second year uh, potentially breaking through and out there in a better situation with Cortland Sutton, to his situation, uh, those type of guys, Antonio Brown, Devante Parker. I mean, like there's just names down there where it's just, it's ridiculous. So, I've been always bell cow running back. Um, and what that means to me, uh, and probably similar to most people is that out of the first two rounds, I want to get one bell cow, one guy, he doesn't have to touch the ball 20 times a week. Cause Austin Eckler is a bell cow fantasy running back. I want somebody I know every single week, his floor is probably around 10 or 12 points. That's bell cow to me because I know every single week I can rely on you. And every single week you have the upside for 20 plus points. So, I need to come out of the first two rounds with one of those and then grab another running back before I get to, like, round six because I don't want to be chasing those running backs because to go back to the 0RB and why it only works if it's your the only person is because it relies on you hitting on those running backs who are backups to come through, but also the waiver wire. And the problem is as soon as there's a second or 13 there with you doing it, they're chasing the same guys you are in the waiver wire and you want to talk about hit rates. Let's talk about the fact that the hit rates in the waiver wire are usually about 10 to 20 percent. So now you take that and you're trying to divvy it up across two or three teams doing the exact same thing, potentially not winning the waiver bids and potentially being the wrong running back that you pick because there's no guarantee because who was the one for the broncos a couple years oh god i can't remember his name right now there's one for the broncos like three years ago and everybody's swearing up and down he was going to be the replacement when somebody got hurt and the very next week wasn't him it was that somebody else altogether? so like those things can happen so that's why i i do understand the theory behind it but in my opinion it doesn't work unless you're the only person and i'm not going to play that game and risk that you know i hope i'm the only person in my draft thinking this way <laughs>
0: For sure. I mean, you kind of spoke on it a little bit with your running back strategy, how you like to get guys uh, at least two before the first six rounds. And I feel like this year, um, just, you know, initially doing some mock drafts, seems like that's kind of where all the real you know starters are going to fall. You're really going to have to start, like you said, relying on back. That's what you never want to do. But in terms of the other positions, obviously, you've got the quarterback position, uh, wide receiver, which is like you said, I mean, you can get a really quality late receiver in some of these later rounds. It's kind of crazy. Tight ends, a very weird position. So how do you kind of map out the rest of your draft process? Where do you like taking specific position groups? So um, kind of just explain your your thought process when drafting.
1: Yeah, I, it's always going to be how the draft falls to you because uh, I, I answer this question a lot every single year. There, there's always like, who should I target in round two? All right, when my first two picks are this, who should I get in round three? And I would say, like, don't go in with a preset strategy. You just never know how the draft is going to fall. I mean, you could say, who should I take with a number two pick? And I could tell you, go get Dalvin Cook. Well, what if the first person takes Saquon Barkley and you still go Dalvin Cook? That was a dumb move. Like, you you just never know. And I've seen drafts where Christian McCaffrey doesn't go with the number one pick. So I say, like, take it with this is my strategy but don't go in and not be flexible that's actually my top strategy is be be flexible to the draft the best value on the board is often the best pick but i'm gonna especially this year try to come out of the first three rounds with two running backs uh, because of what you talked about, especially if you're watching the mocks. And again, I've seen 10, 11 running backs are going around one because the dead zone for running backs, and I forget who, so credit to the people out there and people will probably tweet and be able to mention it. I forget who the person was, but they mentioned a dead zone for running backs is like the fourth or fifth round. And they're right. Every single year, that fourth, fifth, and even the sixth round, you start chasing the guys like Tevin Coleman. Like, let's say we the news report today was Tevin Coleman has the lead Carter has to beat him out. Tevin Coleman would probably go around the fifth, sixth round if we got that report today, and it ends up like, all right, he doesn't even have the job, and even when he did, he wasn't that good. It's just a dead area. But meanwhile, in that fifth round, you don't even have to go talk about the guys we are talking about either the other a wide receiver. You're talking on the fifth round that Thielen and Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham if he's 100%. like Those wide receivers are still there in the fifth round. Those are guys who not only are lock-solid wide receiver twos, but that could finish his wide receiver once. So I'm going to try and come out with two running backs of the first three. Tight end, I'm never the guy to take a tight end in the first round, but if Kelsey's there like middle to late second, I'll do it. If Kittle and Waller kind of get into the fourth round, I'll think about it, Uh, but that doesn't usually happen in most drafts, but if they're there, I will. I usually like to wait on tight end and like go for the Breakout guys like we saw from last year and like similar to this year is like like Adam Trotman, who I love this year as a potential breakout. But he's he's completely undrafted right now. Um But you can fight tight ends late quarterback. Everybody knows to wait at quarterback. But at some point, there's a breaking spot for that. Like, you know, I'm not taking Patrick Mahomes in the second round. If Patrick Mahomes is there in the fourth. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it every single time. Uh, I tweeted this out two weeks ago. You're going to keep giving me Lamar Jackson in the sixth round. I'm going to do it every single time. I I don't want to take them there because everybody knows you can wait on quarterbacks and get top 10 quarterbacks at the end of your drafts. But at some point the value outweighs the strategy. And that's what I wanted to circle back to as the final point. Let the value dictate your draft.
2: Yep. I think letting the value dictate the draft is a great way to draft. And as you both said, getting a running back early is going to be very, very important in this year's fantasy football drafts. But I guess with that, uh, we could wrap things up here on Outside the Arena. Thank you, Jake, for coming on and speaking with us. We really appreciate that. And everyone, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe, not only on this channel, but on our second channel, OTA Clips. We just posted uh, some Julio Jones content over there about two weeks ago if you guys want to check that out. Uh, make sure to follow us all on Instagram. That'll be the best way to reach out to us. My Instagram is mac.romel. Griffin's Instagram is... Griffin Setic. And our podcast Instagram is Outside the Arena Podcast. So feel free to reach out to us there. We will link all of Jake's social medias down in the description below. And as always, stay safe and we'll see you all next week on Outside the Arena.